0: Hello, my name is Ada Erikafe, and you're listening to The Experience Pod. The Experience Center podcast series discusses the adoption and utilization of relevant emerging technologies and trends for impact-oriented professionals, students, and individuals who demand realistic and thought-provoking perspectives on the opportunities and challenges presented by this phenomenon in our unique environment. Our focus today is on education in Africa, For decades, this theme has been at the forefront of both public and private sectors reform across the globe. More so now. As with other parts of the world, this critical sector has been significantly disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic, fast-tracking the introduction of unconventional learning methods and the distribution of varied content to students across the globe. Is this disruption long overdue? This is a million dollar question which remains debatable. To talk about the future of education in Africa, the models driving the transformation we see today, and how technology is changing the landscape for the typical consumers. I have with me Olamidou Majekodomi, the country manager at Nexod University, and Desiree Craig, VP Product and Technology at Ulesson Education. Good to have you ladies on the pod and for the purpose of those who may not be familiar with U lesson and Nextboard university let's kick off the conversation with a quick intro of what these respective organizations do well, let me do would you like to start
1: Sure. So, thanks for the introduction. I'm Olamidejoen Majakodumi, Country Manager for Nextford University, and Nextford is a next-generation license-accredited university based in Washington, D.C. And our mission is to empower economic mobility uh, by enabling people and allowing people to live a life, um, quality, uh, affordable education. Our model is to be workplace-aligned, and what we've done is built our entire curriculum based on what the need of employers are in terms of the soft skills, the hard skills uh, that employers are looking for in today's world. Uh, you are guaranteed to get the foundation um, at NextBud, and then once you're done with your program, you're able to add immediate value to society immediate value to your employer. And we're also competency-based. We have a competency-based model, which means that you scale based on the mastery of your art and um, you know, not necessarily having to you know, pass tests and uh, cram like we would see here in Nigeria. So you have to demonstrate a mastery in the particular skill sets uh, and that's what moves you up through your program. Um, so brief
0: intro on next there, thank you. Great, thanks do Desiree, would you like to tell us about ULesson? Sure, ULesson
2: is an ed tech company and our mission is to enable Africans to reach their maximum potential by making high quality education accessible and affordable. We're currently focused on the West African market and we provide students in junior and senior secondary school access to quality content and educational materials. So this is grades 7 to 12. We have an Android application. Currently, users can download from the Google Play Store and a B2B product works for school.:
0: Great. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for the intro. I think that gives us a view of what both ULesson um, and World uh, University currently do. I'm sure you would agree with me that it's beyond impossible to dispute the role of education in Africa, I know that for me, well, at least the formal education has been pretty, pretty consistent over the past decade. And then when you also look at the traditional way of transferring knowledge, you know, it's been around for decades. But well, the last maybe, would I say, probably about five years, six, I would say, especially in Nigeria, you know, there has been a shift. And I think as it stands, Africa is positioned to have one of the highest adoption rates for e-learning products and services in the world, despite the existing known barriers. I mean, we'll delve delve into those later. I know that e-learning has been made possible. I mean, you ladies have articulated what your mission is, but you've made it possible for a lot of people to tap into quality education, as thankfully delivery is now borderless. So to put it more into perspective, one of my favorite quotes is by Gilbert Chesterton. And he says, education is simply the soul of a society as it passes from one generation to another. And for me, this kind of sums up the essence of education. And it's quite apt when you think about how education has transformed over the years, but the impact the impact, especially in Africa, remains the same. So I will start with you, Desiree. Your lesson was created and conceptualized to cater to the local population by providing a learning platform, offering tutorial and exam support for students, taking the likes of WAEC and Jam, NECO, and probably other African exams. Aside from the specific curriculum relating to these exams, what the characteristics defines lesson as a local innovator and a support system for the education sector?
2: Sure. So I would describe a local innovation as one that works within the constraints of wherever you are. And there are multiple ways that we do this as a business. So we approach this from the angle of content media and technology. First of all, we have the content which is available for people to view. But, you know, one way that I think we've innovated around this is the delivery of that content. And there are two examples I will share here. The first is the dongle. This is a small device that you put into your mobile phone and you're able to stream all of the video and resources from this device. We all know the stats around internet penetration; it's still growing. Our content are richly animated videos, so in order to serve that and not compromise on quality, by making the dongle available, we are able to reduce the cost that would be associated with data. On the other hand, we've had people who've reached out who want to stream over the internet. So the market wants that. What we've also done in this case is to reduce the friction that would have come with having to stream via the internet. And so currently, we bundle data packages with subscriptions. Users get two gig free every month to stream videos. And this, they can stream via mobile data. If they have Wi-Fi at home, they can also do that. I think in ways like this, we're able to provide value to our users within
0: the context of their own needs. Desiree, are you targeting a particular type of clientele? Because I wonder how many people have access to a dongle or have access to the internet. How widespread are your services? We
2: launched about six months ago and we crossed 500,000 downloads. And like I mentioned, our market is West Africa, our two you know, biggest markets are Nigeria and Ghana. We have people who access our content. You know, basically, all you need is a mobile device. The penetration in terms of internet, obviously because of the telcos, is more broad. And so in mm. terms of data packages that we bundle, this is done through our work with the telcos.
0: Makes sense. Majority of the telcos have, probably in total, maybe a, a, can reach 100 million subscribers. So there's a huge potential there. Thank you, Desiree. Lamidu, would you say, I know that Next World University has significantly expanded its operation and has created content based on the local market trends, even though it's domiciled in the U.S., what would you say are the biggest challenges in transposing the U.S. model to suit the Nigerian market?
1: Yeah, um, so I so think you're absolutely right in the sense that we've been able to expand significantly in Nigeria, and uh, Nigeria is the sixth largest international recruiting market for so Nigerians. We really have a very high demand for education, foreign education, um, historically, just, you know, given the association with, you know, quality and, um, you know, you're getting more more bang for your buck. You know, of course, now that we have solutions such as U Lessons that are being forward thinking and cutting edge as well, we have um, other local options. But you're right in the sense that Nexron aims to be what we call globally And we have a global model where our content is globally applicable. So once you have an education from Nextford University, of course, you can apply that in any market across the world. So just being forward-thinking in that sense, but it's also locally, tailored to the market in which you are based in, in which you are working in, and where your employer is in. So we make sure that we have a good balance in that sense where you have local case studies, local research, you're doing local scenarios and and applying your knowledge that you've uh, accumulated in a local environment. In terms of the challenges that we, we've had, it's just needing to, like you said, transpose what we have as a, a US based model, US based curriculum and system to better be able to support Nigerians who may not be used to that, who may not have gone through that system in the past. So, mm. sure that we have um, adequate success advisors that understand not just Learners from different markets, but learners specifically from emerging markets and specifically from Nigeria. So understanding that those communication barriers, language barriers, having really strong supportive systems in place for when you're an expert learner. We have strong faculty response times. We have 24 hours available. your success advisors can be reached at any time of the day. Faculty as well, you can schedule time with your faculty if you need extra help. Response time for faculty is less than 24 hours as well. So just being all around very accommodating, even as you're coming into the program, nurturing you through the process, the admissions process, the enrollment process. And outside of these supportive systems that we've put in place, I'd say another challenge that we've had is perception. So Nigerians in general, as you know, are not fully oriented to online education. Historically, it's had the perception of being less than traditional mm-hmm. offerings. And so we're needing to, you know, really broaden people's mind and try to educate on the benefits of online education, you know, where in fact, you know, questions like Nectar and New Testament are in many instances just as good, sometimes even better. That additional offerings uh, because of how nimble we are and how well we're able to adapt to current emerging trends that are necessary for today's world. So, you know, outside of that perception, I would also say regulatory issues, government power needing needed to, you know, be on board and sort of approve our own learning styles. So changing perceptions across the board is what we're really working
0: on. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. I like what you said about the local case studies. I think that's so key, especially in the environment, because we do have a lot of fantastic case studies that goes unnoticed. So I do like that. Highlighting on the perception bit, would you say that has reduced a tiny bit, especially in the last six months where people have not had any choice but to... E-Learn. absolutely and i think you know it's
1: always been an emerging trend always we're working towards you know, remote working remote learning universities across the world the top universities across the world have already begun to adapt and adopt e-learning to, you know, allow people access education in more flexible ways. So it was always becoming a trend. But absolutely, COVID has hastened that trend and has allowed it to work much faster. You know, what we've seen in the past six months, especially in Africa, we may not have been able to get there for five years, 10 years, maybe even. So it's definitely accelerated. The speed at which people are embracing online education because it's been the only option, and so once people are coming onto online platforms, seeing how much of uh, quality, flexibility, accessibility, seeing accessibility, trends, yeah, you know, how these things are, are more uh, advantageous so when you're learning online. You know, once we've brought them over, they will continue to embrace these trends and and to definitely improve the perception much faster. So, for saying, sure, COVID has been a blessing in disguise
0: for that. Sense. <laughs> Talk about blessing in disguise! Uh, I, I always say that opportunity often comes disguised in the form of uh, misfortune, right? And that's the silver lining that COVID has brought to our table. Because when you think about it, I recently pulled out a stats from UNESCO: ninety-one point three percent of the world's population have been impacted. So you have. Billions of students that have been kept out of the classroom since April 2020. I mean, that's mad. That's, (laughs) you know, uh, and in saying that, that, that's mad to conceptualize. But then for yourselves and your lessons, I mean, that is like fantastic uh, opportunity. So I know that e-learning is here to stay. But the question is, what are the next steps How do you aim to sustain this trajectory in the post-pandemic world? Because we are going to get to the post-pandemic stage, especially where people are craving social interaction. How are we going to sustain this? Alamie, did you want to start and Desiree can chip in?
1: sure so just continuing on with some of the things that i mentioned so we're winning people over now because they're more open to it it's in many ways it's the only option right now so we just need to leverage these conversions right so we're converting people and they're becoming you know fans of online learning so leveraging the conversions in terms of accessibility um flexibility more affordable you know making sure that what they're receiving with us is higher quality, sometimes even higher quality than what they they may have been receiving before with traditional Hmm. I would say one thing we definitely need to do is um, enhancing that community film. And sometimes I say online education isn't for everyone because some people embark into different programs because they want to network and they want to meet other people. They want to be part of a community, right, and see people physically, meet up with people and, you know, their faculty and and that such. So in this instance, what Nexon has done to be able to bridge that gap is creating a community. So before COVID, we were doing events and we're always creating different platforms and opportunities for our learners to meet themselves and network, not just in your local environment, but also globally, right? So you have classmates in different parts of the world that you have just as much access to, to get to know, and, you know, sometimes even, you know, meeting each other and doing business together, doing projects together and things like that. So what we're doing now is enhancing the community field during COVID. We're doing that online through different webinars, through hangouts online, and um, creating what we call like study groups. So study groups can meet online. They have their different groups on WhatsApp, Facebook, things like that. So we're doing that online, but even after COVID, we will continue to do that even physically and allow more opportunities for our learners to mix and mingle and really feel like they're part of a university. We have a learning space. So yes, your academics is delivered fully online, but then you can come into this space in Lagos and everybody else around you is attending Nextford and you can speak with them. Some of them may be in your same courses and you they know, know the same faculty. So even using that space and creating sort of a hybrid feel as well to enhance that community goes a long way.
0: Okay, well, that, I mean, that, that sounds good. Desiree, what are your thoughts? Community-based learning, is that sufficient? You know, what is your lesson doing in ensuring this success, I'll call it success, um, continues beyond today?
2: I think what one thing that is clear is it's forced everyone to rethink what's possible in terms of edtech and the role plays in education because everyone had to work around not being able to gather physically in one place. The greatest long-term benefit here, the way I see it, is just a shift in thinking, because it's clear now to everyone that
0: technology has a major role to play. I hear that. I'm always mindful when we talk about technology. I always like to stress that technology is an enabler, not a solution. But your content, in your case, in the tech space context, The content must be rich enough beyond making educational learning borderless, the content has to be rich enough. I think Olamide also stressed the high quality being key. I think that's probably what would attract people to e-learning beyond the fact that it's accessible to all. And of course we agree that it won't suit everyone. So I guess it's fair enough, but still. Latching on to that whole social and engaging interaction that you guys have mentioned, how does this play when it comes to scientific research opportunities? We know that this is key in, especially in Nigeria, in Africa. E-learning, does it fit in that space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just going straight to the research piece on this, your question there, I would say cutting edge sort of scientific research in Africa, we're not ready for it in terms of okay. so many gaps and there's decades of of, yeah. of that we have not even begun to even scratch the surface of. But to get up to speed and bridge these current gaps, I think we absolutely need to embrace online resources using uh-huh. internet sort of rich media, mixed media formats, and to do this at scale. Because we, as you can imagine, we have a huge gap that we need to bridge. Um, So even just bringing us us up to scale in the past couple of decades, I would imagine that we need to use as many different resources and doing it through online platforms also giving us access to the international community for research grants and support where they're well-versed in this. They have a lot more history, a lot more tools and resources that we can leverage on. So I'd say that that's another way that we can access this. And online education, people always wonder how you can, you know, especially for scientific areas where you need more practical, hands-on experience, you know, but you These days, you have things like mailing kits, you have multiple hybrid solutions that can help you work on the practical aspects of it while being Mm. able to
0: access, Mm. um, Mm. you know. So would you consider, I was asking, are there opportunities? I hear you when you say we're not in that space yet, but would you consider partnering with maybe research organizations just to at least help close that gap? Of course. So next one as an
1: organization, would we'll absolutely be able to. And going back to the piece I mentioned on being able to reach the international community, in Africa alone, there's not a lot of opportunities. I, I don't think that we've prioritized it enough. As no, a, we in haven't. In terms of research and how cutting edge we want to be and how technologically advanced we want to be as a society, we haven't bridged that gap. But Access to the international community that has a vast amount of research, vast amount of resources, and do encourage research and, and do prioritize it is where NextFed can absolutely come in place, being an American university and being immersed in that system already. So, being able to bridge that gap in the future absolutely is where we would be heading towards.
0: Fantastic. We'll be watching this space because it's it is something that we can't ignore. The research we can't definitely can't ignore. Yeah. Uh, so talking about bricks versus browser, I guess that's the way I like to coin it. I know that your focus uh, next to the university and you lessons focus, it's more around the browser. But I recently read somewhere. In Nigeria we have one university for every 1.2 million people whereas when you think about the US they have one university for every 6 to 7,000 plus people mind blowing and considering that Nigerians were big on education i am not sure what went wrong but again this is i guess where platforms like yours and new lesson comes into play the other alarming thing is that 40% of the university applicants are accepted, excluding God knows how many millions. Considering the UN has said that Africa has the youngest population in the world, I would think that this demographic trends could actually benefit us in the long run. So I would ask Desiree to start off, do you think e-learning can be scaled quickly enough Bridge the capacity gap?
2: I think e learning has to scale quickly enough to bridge that gap. I don't think we have a choice on the continent. You know, the cost of physical infrastructure, if you're setting up physical school buildings, is just too high. We can't build learning school buildings as quickly as we need to. And like you've mentioned, like all the stats around out of school children. So, sub Saharan Africa accounts for almost a third. Of the world's out of school children. Our youth population is booming. The only fighting chance, the way I see it, is we really can only beat those strengths and turn them to a positive by leveraging technology. That's the only way to be able to turn it into our favor.
0: Hmm.
1: Great. Alamida, do you want to add to that? Yes, yes. And I I want to start with the statistic that you mentioned, just to really put it into perspective with the shortage of university seats. And even just focusing on Nigeria for a minute, what those statistics mean, it's 1.2 million seats shortage. So what that means is 1.2 million prospective university students that apply every year are unable to get admission because there's not enough space right, that's huge. Even if we build one university every single month in Nigeria for the next 20 years, we're never going to be able to catch up to that. So I must sound like a broken record this time because I always say this, that online education really is the only option we have at this point to scale faster to meet the demand. We can't do it by building brick and mortar institutions. So that's on the skill side. But even on the quality side, we have universities in Africa that have not updated their curriculum for decades. Why should I enter a university now and be learning the same thing that my parents learned in the 80s, sometimes even in the 60s and the 70s? That's crazy to me. Right. So building brick and mortar universities, one, does not help us to scale, but two, it also does not help us with our quality because we have antiquated curriculums, legacy approaches. We have libraries full of books that no one wants to throw out and burn, right, because they cost a lot of money.
0: Yeah. But-
1: You're online, you're based on data, you're using artificial intelligence, you're able to update your curriculum fast, you're nimble. You can change out things as they happen, right? As industry trends develop, as the world continues to change every single year, you're able to be that fast and that quick to adapt, right? So online is the only option in terms of scale and in terms of quality. Um, Desiree touched on the cost of education, right? And traditional universities... 70% 70% of your tuition costs, and I'm using this statistic, it's more of a US statistics. I don't, I'm not super familiar with what they are like in Nigeria, but just to put it into perspective, 70% of the tuition that you're paying goes to overhead costs. So it goes to keeping the life running in the cafeteria and the library and the classroom and all of that. Less than 30% of it goes to your instruction. Right. So online education, if you take that 30%. And you're able to scale it. You're using tools and technology to even make it cheaper. You're saving the end user all that much money that they don't actually, sometimes you're not even going to, to use these classrooms. You're not using all yeah, the classes.
0: facilities.
1: Mm. Exactly. Um. So why pay for it if you don't need it? What you really need to focus on is your instruction. So with online universities, we're able to remove that 70% of the cost and even help reduce even that 30% by scaling. So just to conclude on that piece, we're not able to build brick and mortar universities fast enough to meet the demand. We can't continue to churn out university students that are so par and not, you know, learning based on the curriculum and the current needs that the world is demanding right now. And lastly, you also mentioned the fact that our population is spiking. You know, we're such a young population, 62% of Nigeria's population is under the age of 25. Similar in Africa, we're extremely young, where our population is spiking as well. Um, so now is the time to really act. We, we need to take hold of these trends and support skill and quality. And you know, the only way we can do that right now is through online learning.
0: Great. I guess that's why we're having this sort of conversation. And we're hoping that the past that be also recognize this gap. Because, I mean, the stats that you've reeled out, it's alarming, shocking. And I'm hoping that the people who need to make a difference, I know that, you know, our destiny is truly in our hands, but unfortunately, we we are regulated and we have to abide by the regulations. So we we do hope that they come to the party and realize that things have moved on significantly. So talking about scale, the question is who's going to pay for this? I know that the private institutions in Nigeria have clearly, clearly provided better educational opportunities, especially towards employment, compared to the limited public counterparts. I know that Lesson operates a tiered system and with some of this free content accessible to, I guess, to all. And you also have an expanded library of content for uh, a subscription fee. So, Desiree, you lesson, you guys see yourselves as contributing to the public versus private divide? Where do you fit in? We're talking about change starts with us. So where does your lesson fit into that? In many ways,
2: we actually bridge that divide because we're making quality education more affordable. If we were to characterize the education divide, divided by three levels. We have infrastructure, we have content, and then we have talent. If you think of infrastructure, you can think about this as access to good buildings, physical labs, proper equipment. When it comes to the content divide, you can think about it as access to quality learning resources. Typically, this would also be physical textbooks. And then you have the talent divide, which is the battle over top quality teaching talents. You have the battle between major cities versus smaller cities and towns. Um, and obviously, major cities would continue to compete and win that battle. But even within major cities, you have schools that also then have to compete for the best talent because you have the top schools and you have the second-tier schools, third-tier schools. I believe that we bridge the gap across all those three levels. If you look at it this way, when it comes to infrastructure, really the infrastructure here is your mobile device. In terms of content, we have content that's engaging and extremely comprehensive. We have over 4,000 plus um, pre-recorded videos currently covering all the topics in the curriculum. And then we have the live lessons which we launched recently that further bridges the talent gap because you have great teaching talent, these teachers deliver lessons live. All of this we're able to deliver at a very competitive cost whether you compare this to the average cost of a tutoring centre, which the current public school market already, you know, would go to, or the cost of low-fee private schools. The truth is education does come at a cost, but I believe that we've made this cost very competitive and it definitely is not a barrier to anyone who says goes to public school, a low-fee private school
0: or a top private school. Okay, I guess that's a fair statement. I remember... I went to a federal secondary school and the cost was zero and every single person could afford the school fees. Every single person. I wonder if that's the case today. I wonder if education is just limited to those who can afford to pay for it. I don't know. Let me do. What are your thoughts? I'll take a
1: sort of macro view on this, and I I think we'll all agree that the way the world works right now, the more you're willing to pay for your education correlates with the quality of education that you have. Fair enough. Yeah. So just continuing on with that sort of macro view, that's what institutions like NextFed are trying to reverse. We don't believe that the quality of your education should be dependent on how much you're willing to pay really how we have built our entire system is, despite the quality that we're able to offer, we want it to be affordable, no matter which market you are in, you should relatively be able to afford an expert tuition with degrees starting at $80 a month. You're coming in flexible payment terms and whatnot, but you're still guaranteed to get just as high quality education as any top university in the world.
0: Great, fair enough, fair enough. We've talked about technology, I think, in the last 30 minutes, but well, let's delve straight into technology. In the edtech space, we see mobile learning. Desiree has mentioned a lot about mobile learning, cloud computing, API technology as the bedrock for new startups. Now, if the aim of delivering high-quality education at scale is to be fulfilled, emerging technology, we can't run away from emerging technology, would have a role to play. I do know that one of the advantages of sitting on a brick and mortar is that you're able to, at least for teachers, you're able to read the room and engage accordingly. You're able to pick up a child who is probably not responding as they should or a child who is maybe being distracted. In the age of technology, would you say would have some sort of tool, especially this is all going to be online-based, that can read body language, that can gauge a student's attentiveness and maybe feedback to the teachers' real time. I know we're going all high, now, but that's what emerging technology is about. about. So allow me to do which emerging technology would you see coming in to transform Africans' education landscape? Do you think we're ready? We're ready to accept.
1: So I want to take the point that you made about being in a traditional classroom and being able to gauge body language and how to better support learners where they're physically with you and if we can do that online. And and I guess this will also answer the question about which tools we can use, which emerging tools. I would say we can actually address that better in some ways online because you have things like cookies and you're collecting a lot of data anytime Mm. online, right? So at one, one thing that we're rolling out now, one of the tools that we're rolling out is our success advisors being able to understand sensitivity and understand behavior and activity of each of our learners. And having the tool trigger a success advisor to reach out in a certain way if a behavior of a learner changes, right? So what that means is if a learner is used to logging on at least five times a week and completing assignments on time and has has built up a certain behavior that the the system will understand, right? And then if this learner is now deviating from that behavior, right? So maybe something is going on in in him or her's life, and they're going through a difficult period. And so the time that they're spending on the learning management system is growing less. They're engaging with their classmates a bit less. You can sense that there's a behavioral change. The system will automatically trigger a success advisor who is almost like a counselor to reach out to this learner in a particular way. Hey, I noticed that you're not turning in your assignments on time like you usually have been. You've been doing great all this while. Anything I can help you with, can we schedule a call to discuss, right? So things that you may not be able to see as well and have as much data collected in a physical setting, you have all that data collected and it will always be there, will always be housed. You can analyze trends, you can assess behaviors and everything just as well online and then have a tool and this system, triggering a certain action by our support team to better help the learners and support their success.
0: Great, thanks. I think you've talked more on asynchronous learning. Desiree, for synchronous learning, which may be live learning, what sort of technologies do you think would come to play?
2: one bit in this instance like you mentioned being able to read cues and being able to respond according to those cues would be important so for instance even companies like netflix already do this where they measure not just what episode of a particular series or what movie is being watched but at what time you know is it paused post- Do people rewind? Do they fast forward? I think all of that basically would create a much richer live experience. Because if you're able to assess real-time and respond, obviously the benefit of real-time learning is it's more interactive. If you're able to respond real-time, then you can create a much richer learning experience for your learners. I think the concept also of having this one-to-one even though it's a one-to-many setup, would be interesting. So in this case, you have one tutor that is teaching a small group, for instance. Each group has a personalized experience based on whatever it is that they are learning. So if someone is assimilating at a particular rate, you're able to tailor their own content based on the rates that they are basically assimilating. I think there are lots of opportunities as well in the space of machine learning and AI to make learning truly personalized. And that's one of the things that excites me the most. If you think of the best recommendation engines from social networks to streaming platforms, whether it's music or movies, being able to truly understand and predict what students need would help improve the learning experience in ways that we haven't currently experienced them. Learning at the end of the day is all about the individual and tailoring the experience to the uniqueness of each student and what their needs are and ensuring that their needs are met would be the ultimate goal.
0: Great response. Thank you, Desiree. So like they say, we're running a marathon with e-learning right now, and it seems to be going quite well. Like a marathon, apparently, my marathon ends at some point, no matter how long it is. I read somewhere, which was quite troubling, that it's been predicted that the demand for global e-learning, as we know it, will actually fall by 7% in the next few years. I don't know if you've heard that. To be replaced with more live, interactional simulations and game-based content, which in a way is a good thing, because talking about centuries and being able to gauge capture different types of urgent, and also being able to tailor-make your content for a a particular individual. Now, looking forward, looking ahead, do either of you have plans to explore new ways of delivering your content? And in addition, what are your thoughts around partnership?
2: So with regards to live learning, I'd say we totally agree. Like I mentioned, last month, we launched our live lessons at Ulesson, and these are interactive sessions run by our tutors. Classes are more interactive because they are real-time. The tutor starts the session, students join, they can ask questions directly. It offers a different experience on its own. I do think, though, that... Other ways of learning, whether it is taking a practice exam after your live lesson or it is watching a pre-recorded video, I think that all of this would complement live learning. I think that live learning in itself is still something that's pretty new and we still have a lot of time to basically reap the benefits of live learning on its own and all of these other ways of learning would continue to
0: complement live learning for quite some time. Great. I guess it's baby steps. Let me do. would you want to add to this?
1: Yeah, of course. So just complementing some of what Desiree has mentioned, there's multiple ways that we look to deliver content and our instructional design, you know, in terms of like gaming, giving instant gratification and bringing in badges. So if you're going through a course with Nextfed, it's cut up in different pieces and modules. And after each module, it tells you what skills that you've been able to earn what skills you've developed and, you know, what you've gotten out of this model. And in that sense, you also get a badge, a badge that you can instantly go on and put on your meeting or, you are know, putting it on your resume or whatnot. So there's that instant gratification as well. Doing simulations that combine strategy and real-world case studies, like Desiree mentioned, doing some live interactive sessions as well, and assessments that sort of force you to assimilate you know, research and do case studies that that reference current events and real-world workplace scenarios. So, you know, doing a sort of well-rounded approach with different, multiple dimensions that deliver learning in different ways.
0: Great. So is this work in progress or?
1: Yeah. So we already have, we do badges already. There's some gaming and simulations. There's real-world case studies and final assessments in every course.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Thank you, ladies. So let's step it down a tiny bit. And this is not um, the next few questions, not necessarily about education, but just your general perception or general thoughts on the world or on where you currently are. So speaking of predictions, what was the last prediction you got wrong? Desiree. (laughs)
2: that working from home in 2020 would be the exception <laughs> and not the norm. But I'm sure everyone, you know, got that wrong anyway. AR and 3D printing, I think. I thought that they would be more mainstream by now because I've been following them closely for a decade.
0: So AR and 3D printing would be it for me. Okay. Well, it's uh, that's also work in progress. I think it's coming closer to home. AR, 3D, you know, um, talking about 3D, one of my greatest wish is that 3D will come closer to home, especially where it comes to fixing the roads. You can imagine if you had 3D printing for fixing the roads, we will not have potholes. That's, right. <laughs> that's my own, that's my wish. Allow me to, what's yours? What's your prediction that has gone wrong?
1: And I got wrong. So mine is very basic. I thought the world was going to end, actually. <laughs> um, Are you serious? Well, we came close to it. <laughs> i was so sure i i was one of those that were thinking you know oh i was super dramatic about the whole thing you know oh, very wow. <laughs> yeah oh, so that was my prediction that's that's going to be a lot worse than um as bad as it's been it's been an extremely tough year for everyone yeah, and, yeah. you know but we it looks like we're going to survive so that's
0: a good yes yes thank god for that thank god I mean, when COVID started, I mean, can you imagine a total lockdown? Total. Okay, so, uh, let me do what's one view you seem to find very few people agree on?
1: Ah, um, hmm. I hate to keep sounding morbid, <laughs> but one thing that scares me, and I feel like it excites most people, is the rate at which our population is growing in Nigeria, without the adequate systems and social infrastructure you know so of course it's a great opportunity if we had a strong handle on it economically socially progressively and all of that but on the flip side it could actually be a very scary scenario if we're just magnifying our issues with more people below the rates and all of that so yeah i would say that one thing that i have somewhat of a different view on um yeah
0: Mm, mm. I hear you on that. I hear you on that. But I think once again COVID has given us the opportunity to reset. And I'm hoping I keep saying the powers that be are uh, also taking the necessary cues to make whatever changes.
1: Absolutely. There's so much opportunity if we can be sensitive to that growth now and you know get a strong handle and start planning. Mm-hmm.
2: Great. Yeah. Great. Desiree, what are your thoughts? So, mine is more of a personal belief, and that's on the topic of ambition. I think that people tend to think about it differently. So, typically, you have people who are shamed for having too little or too much. But, you know, the way I like to look at it, I think that life actually balances itself out that way. You have some sets of people who have a desire to truly change the world. And this is from the belief that they can make the world a better place. On the other hand, you, know, you have people who are not so inclined, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because the first set of people are really just building for others. They're building for the rest of humanity, not themselves. And the rest of humanity benefits, and their lives are enriched. So I think it's very myopic to compare ambitions, and you know, we would be much happier and more at peace if we just let people do what it is that they
0: wanted to do and believe in. Very interesting and extremely controversial. I won't tell you what my thoughts are on that. (laughs) Maybe offline, Desiree. Okay. So what we normally do, obviously, the podcast has been running for, I think about six months, maybe. And we always get our previous guests to give a question. They don't know who is coming. And to just give a, a blind question to our next guest. And it's interesting how this question kind of fits into your context. The question is How do you plan to scale across Nigeria? It's just a perfect fit. Normally, the questions are so far, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with your topic of discussion, but I think this fits right with our topic today. How do you plan to scale across Nigeria? So uh, I
1: would say similarly with how we entered and sort of penetrated in the market in the first instance, partnering with employers of our learners, partnering with industry experts, using their network and sort of co-branding and and co-alignment with them, we can then use that to penetrate in other cities, other states in Nigeria, you know, so finding the right sort of mission-aligned organizations and individuals across different um, regions in Nigeria, entering the market with them, and using that as an opportunity to, to scale and reach more people and amplify our mission.
2: For you, Lesson, we're already in major and other cities, not just in Nigeria, but also in Ghana, and we're going to continue to grow. We have a pretty strong and dedicated sales team, um, same with marketing. We're also working on the B2B market, so we're focusing on B2B and not just B2C as well, and that will continue to see
0: our growth not just in Nigeria, but also Ghana. Great, thanks, ladies. Okay, so the last question, uh, we say that disruption is interrelated. So in that respect, what's one perspective you'd like to get from our next interview? Obviously, we have no clue who our next interview is, but like the previous guest has posed the question, what's one question you'd like to pose to our next guest? My question would be,
2: what is one African industry you think is ripe for disruption that no one is paying attention to yet.
0: I like that. Allow me to. I like that too.
1: Um, I would ask, uh, can money save the world? So if everyone had a little bit of more, if everyone was content in terms of affordability and having disposable income and such, could that save the world? Would it make the world a better place?
0: Oh my goodness. I I feel as though we need to have a different conversation. (laughs) We need Great conversation on that. But I mean, great, great, great questions. I I would definitely let you know as soon as the next interview has responded. But, you know, thank you ladies for your time. Thank you for the nuggets. Keep doing what you're doing. E-learning is, in my opinion, is the way to go. And I think my hope and wish is that it goes beyond where it is today you know it gets to the hands of the underprivileged so just put that the back of your mind you know that we need to educate pretty much everybody give everybody that same opportunity thanks ladies thank you so much thank you for your time and have a good weekend
1: thank you so much
0: thank you